Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Uh, we are getting into, this is actually during Jesus' last week of uh, ministry prior to the cross. So next week we're, is, is, is you know, Palm Sunday, and, and as we're going through this year, Palm Sunday has already happened in the text. And Jesus has been teaching in the temple. And what we're going to see is actually what comes after a time of as Jesus is walking out, and he's talking about, this is one of those, those great stories where he's talking about the widow who put in just a few coins. And Jesus points her out to his disciples, and he says, you see this widow? She has given more than all the rich people because she in her poverty gave everything she had to live off of. And then he tells his disciples that she, what she has done is going to be remembered. That what she has done is going to be talked about and remembered for ages to come. And, and so his disciples, as they're going out, they're looking at the, the temple and all these beautiful stones, and they start asking him, uh, and they start saying, look at how great this temple looks. And you've got to understand, the, part of the reason for this is because the temple was under construction. It was about uh, three-fourths of the way through of being restored and, and made new by King Herod, who is now dead, but his building project continues. And they're looking at all the magnificence of what the temple is going to look like, and it's going to be greater than it was ever since it was rebuilt. And, and Jesus starts telling them, do you, do you see all these things? They're not going to last. There's going to come a day when there's not going to be one brick on top of the other. And the disciples start asking him, when's this going to happen? What are the signs for this? One of the signs of the coming of the kingdom. Now, uh, they still were wrestling to understand that Jesus was going to the cross. They were still wrestling to understand that he wasn't establishing his kingdom in that moment as we are still looking forward to him to do. They didn't quite understand. And, and his desire for them was that they would understand and know and be able to be prepared for what was coming to them. And in a similar way, he wants us to be prepared for what's coming for us and to us. He, he doesn't want us to be unaware and, and there's nowhere, you know, we, we talk about Jesus' return and how nobody knows when it's going to be happen, and, and, and that's true. Not even the Son knows when he is going to come back. But yet, just as often as Jesus tells us we don't know when it's going to happen, he also tells us, to be prepared for it to happen. That we should be able to see and be uh, aware of the signs that it is coming. Not that we should try to pick a date. Not that we should predict, oh, it's going to be here by Christmas. But that we need to be vigilant and ready and aware of its coming. And so we are going to look today at Jesus' encouragement for his disciples to prepare for what is coming their way. We're going to begin in verse 10. Uh, this is a continuing of, of the thought that has already been started where he's talking about, uh, you know, you're going to, these are the events that, that show, that are going to come, but that doesn't mean the end is coming necessarily. And so uh, verse 10 tells us, then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
And there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now this is kind of a... All of this could just describe life. Kingdoms rise up against kingdoms, nations against nations. There are earthquakes. There are plagues and famines in various places. You know, and, and, and if you're ever experiencing those things, it feels like the end. If, if there is a great plague and you're running out of food, it, or a famine and you're running out of food, or plague and everybody's dying, it feels like the end. I'm often reminded of uh, on, in Fiddler on the Roof when they're getting kicked out of their town and the tailor asks the rabbi, you know, wouldn't this be a good time for the Messiah to come? Because it feels like the end. It always feels like the end when it happens in a local area. But he says, you're going to see these things. But in verse 12 he says, in essence, that this isn't everything. Because he says in verse 12, but before all these things, before all these things, before we get to the end times, before we get to Jesus coming back, before we get to all the great uh, turmoil, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. And then he tells them a promise. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Before all these things happen, before I set up my kingdom, before I come back in power and set everything to right, they're going to lay their hands on you. And they're going to persecute you. They're going to deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors, for my name's sake. The, the, the promise that Jesus gives His disciples, the promise that He gives us is that we will experience suffering for His name's sake. Just as He suffered for us, and, and our suffering doesn't come close to His suffering, but just as He suffered for us that He might save us, by being His disciples, by joining with Him, by following Him, we are going to experience suffering for His name's sake. Now for a lot of human history, the church in the West has been able to avoid such suffering, although there have been times that it comes up. Sometimes even within the church, those who have been true to God and have been true to His Word and have desired to follow Him faithfully have been persecuted by those who are in charge of the church who may or may not know Jesus Christ Himself personally. We've seen that through human history and through church history. But notice what he says, that as they do these things, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Jesus' focus isn't on the suffering, he, although he's saying, hey, it's going to happen. But the purpose that he has for it, that it's going to lead to an opportunity for your testimony. That there is going to be, when you're drawn into these synagogues and in these prisons, it's going to be an opportunity for your testimony. And just think about the book of Acts. You know, the, the disciples are arrested and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. And what do they do? They get to explain their faith in Jesus. Uh, Stephen is taken by a mob who are angry about his, his work and his miracles and the signs that he is doing. 
And, and Nathan and I were just reading a book this past week that suggested that, you know, maybe Stephen could have considered, how can I get out of this? How can I make the mob not so angry with me? But instead, maybe Stephen was thinking to himself, this is my chance to share the gospel. This might be my last chance to share the gospel with this crowd. And so he pressed on, you could even say bullheadedly, and he angered them so much with the truth of the gospel that they took him out and they stoned him to death. And even while they were stoning him, he was able to testify about Jesus Christ. Think about Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi singing praises to God. They were thrown into, delivered into prison, and yet because of their time there, their testimony, the jailer and his entire family were saved. We don't necessarily experience being delivered to the synagogues and prisons, and we're not brought before kings and governors for Jesus' name's sake. But have you ever considered that even just the adversity you experience, the, the difficulties you experience when you fa- uh, are, are serving and following Jesus, maybe just ordinary, normal uh, struggles of life, that any time you're faced with something that is going against you, it feels like, or people are against you, that those are actually opportunities to share your testimony. There are, there are opportunities for your testimony. Do you, ever, do you ever consider adversity as an opportunity? I mean, it, Jesus is specifically talking about being dragged in front of courts and in front of kings and judges, but the principle can apply to you going out to your car and having a flat tire and you really needed to be going somewhere. Instead... Now you've got to take care of that tire. How do you respond? How do you live? It's an opportunity, whether great or small, for your testimony. How do we respond to adversity? How do we respond when you maybe lose a, an opportunity for promotion because of your faith in Jesus Christ? It's happened. You're not willing to work on Sundays? We don't have need of you. You're not willing to Fudge the numbers here and there. We don't have need of you. How do we deal with adversity? Have you ever considered that when, when something bad happens to you, God knows about it. He allowed it. And He has a plan and a purpose for it. And it's an opportunity for your testimony. For you to show the difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life. It can be in great big ways, like what he's talking about, and it can be in small little ways. Unfortunately, I think we probably uh, fail the small little ways, don't we? Every time I stub my toe, I've got an opportunity to give my testimony. Do I? Or do do I fall short in those times? Jesus tells the disciples, Uh, Because of this opportunity coming to them, he says in verse 14, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand, to defend yourselves. Make up your minds, decide ahead of time, prepare yourselves that you will not prepare beforehand, that you won't uh, plan out your defense. Instead, he tells them, for I will give you utterance and wisdom 
which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And, and there's a little bit of a suggestion there that your pre-planned defense, they might be able to refute. Because you're going to be working, if, if you're planning it, you're working in human wisdom, and it's equal to theirs. But he, and he's not just saying here, you know, just, just walk in carelessly. We'll get a little bit further and deeper into how do we wait for him to give us this utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But here, here's, here's the, the contrast. Who do we rely upon when we're faced with the adversity? And, and if you were to be taken in in front of a king, who would you rely upon in those situations? And, and, and his admonition for us not to prepare beforehand to defend ourselves is, in essence, don't trust in your own abilities. Don't trust in your own thoughts. Don't trust in your own wisdom. But instead, prepare to trust in God. Prepare ahead of time. Plan ahead of time. Make up your minds ahead of time that when this happens, you're going to trust in God. And we're not talking about having faith in God as in salvation. But we can say, we can believe in Jesus and we can hope in Him for our salvation, and then yet still try to do things our own way. And he's saying instead, no, you've got to prepare ahead of time. You've got to be prepared to trust in God. And, and this is similar to you know, uh, fire drills. If, if, you're, if you want to know how to get out of a building quickly and there's a fire, you need to prepare beforehand, right? You need to have a plan of how you're going to get out if you got little kids, you need to practice. That's why schools uh, always loved it when the fire drill went off, didn't you? I mean, you got out of class for a few minutes. It interrupted the day. It take a, the teacher a few minutes to get class back in order. Man, those were to think that you got excited about such things. But fire drills, all oh, right. We gotta. Oh, let's stop doing this. Whatever it was we were doing, let's walk outside. Then I always hated it, though, once they made us all walk back inside. Then it was, you know, oh, well, we've got to go back to this class. But we have to prepare. You have to think beforehand, how am I going to handle this? And, and so Jesus is encouraging us that as we think about adversity in our lives, as we think about the possibility of, of persecution and being delivered over, but even in a, you know, he's talking in grand ways, but, you know, look around, we are in, uh, the Eagle Mountain area of Fort Worth, we don't have a whole lot of people coming and dragging us off to prison, right? But we do have opportunities to give our testimony. We do have opportunities as hardships come, but we need to plan ahead of time that we're going to trust in God for His ways and follow His ways and not our own. To trust in Him. We don't necessarily have to have all the answers, but we need to be focused on Him and trusting in Him. He even tells us in verse 16, he says, but you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. So, so don't trust in yourself, but watch out. Those closest to you are going to betray you. Those closest to you are going to let you down. They're going to turn you in. You're going to be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Not everybody's going to get out of it alive. Nobody's, not everybody's going to get out of the persecution unscathed. I tell you what, the idea of, of being betrayed by those closest to you, that, that 
I understand that a lot better after three years ago with the whole, you know, the way the world changed for COVID, you know, and, and the way America with our freedom and our independence and, and we got close to people, you can't do that and you need to stay at home and you need to wear this and you need to do that thing and how people turned on one another. It'll happen. People you love that you think are reasonable, they'll turn on you. You can't, now that's not to say let's cut them all out of our lives today, no. It's to recognize that people are people and they will betray you and they will even put some of you to death. And he says in verse 17, and you will be hated by all because of my name. By, because of my name. We, we shouldn't be hated of all because of our behavior. We shouldn't be hated by all because of our uh, hypocrisies. We should be hated by all because of His name. Because we're following Jesus and they hate Jesus and therefore they hate us as well. And yet the promise in verse 18, yet not a hair of your head will perish. Tell that to the people who in verse uh, 16, they will put some of you to death. So what's he saying here? Yet not a hair of your head will perish. Well, he, Luke is the one that talked about that God knows every hair of your head. He's, what he's communicating is that God will provide for you, he'll carry you, he'll protect you, and he will see you through to the other side if you die. That he will provide and he will protect. Luke's the one that tells us that not to, that he's the one that records Jesus is saying of don't fear those who can kill you and after that can't do anything. I'll tell you the one to fear. Fear the one who after killing you can consign you to eternal judgment, to the second death. That's the one you need to fear. So when he says, not a hair of your head will perish, he's talking about God's care for us and his, his carrying us through it. And then in verse 19, he tells us, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. This isn't that we can save ourselves. It's the idea that, just as Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, that uh, anyone who wishes to save his life for my sake must lose it. That, that if, you, if, if, or excuse me, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But anybody who loses his life for my sake, he will save it. We don't actually save our lives. It's that choice of following Jesus, of living for Jesus that saves us. And in the same way here, your endurance by, by living underneath, remaining and patiently enduring, by being steadfast, by not giving up, as you go through the, 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 the as you go through the persecution, as you endure, as you hold on to Christ, you will gain your life. And then he he tells us in verse 20. He moves back to the question of Jerusalem. He says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, realize her desolation is near. Her destruction is coming. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city. If you're out working your fields, don't go home. Run away from the city. Because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. 
Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. In, in essence, those in, in, in open warfare, those that are hurt the most are, are the weakest and the, and the most vulnerable. And children, that are especially if they're nursing, mothers who are trying to care for a nursing child on the run, fleeing destruction. And then if you're pregnant, well, you're not getting very fast very far, are you? Or you're not getting very far very fast. So this is, this is it's going to be a bad time. And then he says in verse 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus, you got to remember, about A.D. 30 or A.D. 33, the disciples are looking at the temple and they're looking at all the stones and all the, 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 just the magnificence of it. They're marveling at it. And Jesus is telling them, not a, not a stone will remain on top of another. When will this happen? And, and he starts talking to them about the persecution they're going to face as a church. But then he goes back to Jerusalem. And, and just try to think, if you were a Jewish person, I mean, Jerusalem means more to them than any city in America means to us. We don't have that same connection with it. We have never been called to go to Washington, D.C. three times a year, have we? And, and celebrate? No, we don't do that. But the Jewish men... The Jewish families, every year, three times a year, they were to, to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and worship. Jerusalem was everything. That was where God set up His throne and His people in the Davidic kingdom. And for Him to say that the temple where they went for worship to sacrifice animals to God for grace and salvation, He says, it's going to be destroyed. Can you imagine what that sounded like? And then can you imagine what it must have felt like when it happened 40 years later? Everything that, that Jesus is saying here in verses 20 to 24 uh, happened in A.D. 70. The temple, remember I said that the temple was under construction uh, at that time? Herod the Great started constructing, he started rebuilding the temple and renewing it uh, in about 19 B.C. So for Jesus' entire life, the temple was a construction site. Kind of like driving on I-35, right? His entire life, the entire time he was on the earth, the temple was under construction. The temple was finished being worked on and all the scaffolding was taken down in A.D. 64. And then in A.D. 70, it was all destroyed because the Jewish people uh, rebelled against the Romans, and the Romans showed up, and uh, Tiberius destroyed the city. He destroyed the temple. He destroyed the nation. He drove all the Jewish people out of it. They couldn't even live in the city anymore. He completely decimated the area. And that's what... Jesus is talking about here that this is all going to happen to the people. These are all things that have already happened. And yet, Matthew and Mark, they use the destruction of Jerusalem as also a, a picture to the future when Jesus uh, 
will come back and when His church will be uh, under persecution from the world around it. But Luke separates these things and helps us to understand that the, the, the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple happened in A.D. 70. And, and so when, when Luke was writing, this was still future. Luke was writing most likely in the early 60s. Maybe right about the time that the temple is being finished up. And he's looking forward and saying this is happening. It's going to come. In verse 25, Jesus continues. He says, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. And, and this isn't literal language about the sea and the waves. This is, uh, in, in the Old Testament and throughout Scripture, the, the sea is a view of chaos and of war and of destruction coming at you. You know, so when, uh, when, when they talk about the, the, the sea bashing against Mount Zion in Psalm 46, well, the ocean didn't get that close. It, it's poetic language. But that's what Jesus is talking about, that, that, that in the future as things come together, there will be signs and sun and moon and stars. This is apocalyptic imagery. Whereas earlier in verse 11, he said there will be great signs from heaven. That's kind of a prophetic. There will be great signs from heaven is a prophetic statement, but signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, that's apocalyptic. Dismay among the nations, perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. They just don't understand. They're not able to comprehend what's going on in the world. He says in verse 26, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, they can't even handle the reality. It's just the expectation of it makes them faint. As they think about what's going to happen, it makes them faint. He says, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But notice verse 28. But when these things begin to take place, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So, so the world, as it sees what's coming to it, as it sees the, the, the signs in the heavens, the apocalyptic language, men are fainting, they're perplexed, they can't understand what's happening and then what they see draws, gives them dread. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. They are terrified. They are undone. But when we see these things happening, we need to straighten up. We need to lift up our heads. We need to look up. Because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is, the, the word redemption is literally to, to buy back from. The price paid to buy something back. And so our redemption is near. We are in sin. We are living in a world of sin. And yet our redemption is near. Notice that continually the focus is not on what we are going to do, but what we are going to receive. He tells us you're going to be experiencing persecution. But when you do, don't plan ahead about how you're going to defend yourself Plan to trust in God. Prepare to trust in God. And in this way, when everybody's looking around and they're seeing such stuff and it makes them weak and it makes them faint, for us, it should strengthen us. It should encourage us because we are going to look up to God 
for our deliverance. He says, he says they're going to see him coming on the clouds. And then what does Jesus say? Look up. Straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That which causes the world dread is our glory coming to us. So we look up to God for your deliverance. Look up to Him is what He's saying. Not, not to what is going on in the world, not what we can do. Look up to God for your deliverance. That's still my third point. There we go. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Look up to God for your deliverance. We're not looking to ourselves, but we're looking to Him to deliver us from the world that is around us, for, to redeem us. Our redemption is near. And then Jesus gives us a, a, a parable that goes along with this idea. See, all the world is going to be looking at these things, and, and just think about, you know, think about the hardships that have happened in the world lately. Economy's down. Price of eggs are skyrocketing. Oh, I wish I was in the egg business. I am not, so I'm not making much money off of that. Banks are failing. Stocks are up and down all over the place. There's wars and rumors of wars. When's China going to invade Taiwan? What are we going to do, if anything? All sorts of things to be terrified about that the world is worried about and focused on. But as believers, we're not supposed to be fainting. We're not supposed to be terrorized by it. We need to look up to God for our deliverance. That as the world shakes, we stand firm. That's the way it's supposed to be. But like everything else, if we don't plan to be that way, if we don't determine in our hearts that our hope and trust is in God, then we're going to faint away with everybody else around us. Finally, Jesus gives us a parable. He, verse 29, Luke tells us, Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. We, we have this going on right around us, right? What, what are, what's happening? Trees are starting to blossom. They're starting to bloom. They're putting forth their leaves. We know that summer is on the way. We know that we're in the midst of spring. We know that new growth is happening. We can see it, and so we recognize the sign of the times. He says in verse 31, So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. When, when you see these great turmoils happening in the world, we shouldn't be like the rest of the world wondering what's going on. We should recognize, hey, God's moving. God is active. God is working. Just as any time you have an ad, you know, adversity in your life, and something's going wrong, there's the opportunity to share your testimony. There's the opportunity of your testimony. Well, when these things are happening, there's the opportunity that God's kingdom is coming near. It, it shouldn't cause us to wither. It should cause us to stand straight and to be excited about what God is doing. He tells them in verse 32, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Now, is he, is he talking about the people that were alive at his time, because they're all dead. And these things haven't taken place. 
Is he talking about just his disciples? What, what's he getting at here? In Luke, Luke often talks, uh, the, the dialogue of Jesus that Luke records, he often talks about this generation as being this wicked generation, this wicked generation that refuses to accept me, that has rejected me. So when he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place, he's like, the opposition against me and the wickedness of the world is going to continue until these things take place. He says, now, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What I am telling you is true. That, that generation is not going to pass away. They're going to be around for all this, and, and my word is not going to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Things that we think of as eternal that, that has been here, it has just been here, and it will continue to be here. The earth is here. It says it's going to pass away, but my words are sturdier and stronger and more firm than the terra firma you stand on. So be on guard, he says in verse 34. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. Be on guard. Have a, you know, in other words, keep watch. Be aware. Pay attention. That as all this stuff is going on, your hearts won't be weighed down with dissipation, with drunkenness, and the worries of life. I, I find these to be interesting things because uh, dissipation is the idea of that you, you delight yourself to the extent that you can. You can't delight yourself anymore. You, you fill yourself up with it all to the point where actually you experience emptiness. Drunkenness is obviously uh, giving yourself over to drunkenness. Dissipation and drunkenness often go along together. But then the worries of life, well, let's face it, a lot of times, why does the drunkenness happen? The worries of life. Why does the dissipation happen? The worries of life. We, we, we say to, you know, let's eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we might die. That, that's not the way of the child of God. It says, be on guard so that you don't get trapped and, and stuck in the way that everybody else is going. And, and he says to be on guard... Uh, to conclude 34, and that that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. He says, don't get so wrapped up in the world as you're living it that you're focused on enjoying the good things and you're worried about the, the worries of life and it's all getting you down and so that that day will come on you suddenly like a trap. That you don't realize it's there and then all of a sudden you're done. And you had no idea it was coming at you. Because he tells us in verse 35, it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. It's going to happen. Elsewhere, Jesus tells us that just like in the times of Noah, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the floods came. Until the rain started. Same thing happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody was having a good time. They were eating, they were drinking, they were going about their business, they were working. Lot and his family were running out. Nobody else understood why until it came raining down upon them. It's going to come upon everybody like a trap. But for us, he says in verse 36, but keep on the alert at all times. Keep on the alert. Keep watch. Be ready. Be aware. At all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. 
So twice in these verses, be on guard, keep on the alert. Similar idea. As the rest of the world is going about its business and it's getting weighted down by the worries of the world and by dissipation and drunkenness, and, and just look around at our culture right now. Doesn't that sound like the world? But we shouldn't be carried along with them. No, we need to be on the alert. We need to be on guard. We need to be ready. We need to be looking. And how, do we, how are we supposed to live? Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Praying that you would endure. That you would be able to, to undergo the testing of your faith. That you might be able to stand before the Lord. We have adversity. We have difficulties in our lives. We may in our lifetimes face persecution like Jesus is talking about. Look at our country today. It has not always been a great and perfect country, I know. But at least at one point we were trying to follow God as a nation. One nation under God was adopted in the 20th century. Our founding document said that we believe that these truths are self-evident. They are obvious that all people are endowed by their Creator. We believed in a Creator. That we were all endowed with it. That it was self-evident. Let me ask you, in the news, in the media, in the halls of Congress, in the White House, do we believe these things today? You may say, yes, I believe these things, but as a culture, as a country, do we believe these things? They are not communicated. They are not communicated. I don't even know if our schools are still saying the pledge. If they are here, I guarantee you, they're not in a lot of other states. Because the pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States is offensive. And we're so worried about what's offensive to the world. We're so worried about what's offensive to the most extreme forms of our country. But you know what's offensive, I think, to God? We kill our children. And those that are lucky enough to get out of the womb, now we have a full-scale desire to mutilate children. I don't know why. But that is our culture. Our culture says what is wicked is righteous. And what is righteous is wicked. That is what is on the news. That is what is on the internet. That is what is in the laws that are being written and the judges that are deciding. How long do you think we can go like this before God in His mercy says no more? Those that believe in Jesus Christ in the land of the free and the home of the brave, may earlier than we ever anticipated experience the persecution that Jesus is talking about here. What will we do when we experience it? Are we going to see it as an opportunity for our testimony? Are we going to prepare to trust in God as these things happen? Or do we fight and try to win back what has already disappeared? Do we look to political parties? Do we look to politicians? Do we look to talking heads on the internet or on the news to 
be our deliverance or do we look to God for our deliverance? We need to be on guard. We need to be alert. Most of all, notice what he says. Praying that you may have strength. How do we have uh, God giving us utterance of what to say? Well, prayer. How do we hold on when all around us is fainting? How do we stand straight and look to God for our deliverance? Prayer. Jesus is telling us that we need to stay prepared and close to God through prayer. Prayer is the key to to holding on to Him, to keeping our focus right when all the world is going wrong. It is the strength that we have is prayer. Keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength. You're not going to have strength in yourself. You're not going to have wisdom in yourself. But if we commit ourselves to prayer, to praying to the Lord, to seeking His guidance, His wisdom, then we can have the strength to endure and to stand before the Son when He comes. How did Jesus face the cross? Prayer. When He needed to, when He knew it was coming, what was the most important thing to Him to do? He said to his disciples, couldn't you have just prayed with me for an hour? You have great opportunities to share your testimony, to to deal with the adversity in your life. But we need to not rely upon ourselves, but Him. And the way I think to do it is if we cultivate a life of prayer, that we pray consistently, Continually seeking His wisdom and His guidance on how to respond. We can stand straight no matter the the dangers that come our way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we have so many resources in our own lives we often forget to come to You. We often forget to look to You for our deliverance, for our hope, for our provision. We want to come to You after we've run out of options. But Lord, we pray that we would trust in You. That You would be our our first line. That we would come to You in prayer. Lord, as we experience adversity in our lives and potentially even persecution to come, May we rest in You. Not deciding how we're going to take care of ourselves or uh, being worried about how to defend ourselves. But Lord, looking to You for our deliverance. Looking to You for strength to get through. Lord, we pray that that we would stay close to You through prayer. That we would stay alert in our prayer. That we would not become complacent about the state of the world and what is going on. Father, help us to look to You and seek You out. We pray, Lord, for those times that we 
have opportunity to share our testimony. To share that our faith is in You and not ourselves or the the things of this world. Lord, we pray that we would be strong in our testimony, that You would help us to reflect the faith we proclaim in our everyday experiences. We pray, Lord, if we have lived our lives in such a way that we don't convey our faith in You, that we are just as fearful as the people around us, we're just as worried about tomorrow as everyone around us, Lord, we pray that You would convict our hearts, that we would repent, and that we would place our faith in Jesus, not just for salvation, but that You will provide tomorrow that you care for us today. Father, make this known in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name.